0: All right, the screens are up. So um, my wife always gets annoyed with me because I always quote like movies from like the 80s and the 90s, and uh, she's like, how do you remember those? But um, so I'm going to share with you another scene from a movie. This one was from the 90s, but it's going to relate to what I was talking about. In the movie Forrest Gump, many of you have seen that movie. There's this incredible scene, and it begins uh, to set up the scene Forest love of his life, Jenny, has just walked out on him. And he's so frustrated, his heart is broken, that he starts running. And he runs out of his house in Alabama, and he keeps on running. A matter of fact, he runs for three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours. And as he's running, people start following him. He has all these people that are falling behind him. They think he's some guru, that he's gonna, uh, share this, like, sage, wise advice with them. And one day, he stops running, he turns around, and one of the other runners goes, stop, he's going to say something, something very important. Forrest looks at him, I'm not going to try to do the Forrest Gump impression, because my impressions are terrible, okay? He looks at them all and says, I'm pretty tired, I think I'll go home now. And all the people who have been following him are like, whoa, whoa, what are we going to do now? See, they were expecting this great advice, and Forrest said, I'm tired, I want to go home. Well, whether you've seen the movie or not, I think all of us can relate to being exhausted, to being tired, to really running on empty. If our lives were like cell phones, so often we're on like 5% and we're trying to find a charger somewhere and we can't find it, panic set in. Recently my wife and I experienced this when we moved houses from Bluffton to Hilton Head. At the same time we were trying to run an event, the fall festival out here. And I remember we were going back and forth because we had to rent our house out in the beginning of November and we're trying to get it ready for the renters. And we're going back and forth with trips and uh, I remember one particular day the kids were fighting in the back, the dog was being annoying, doing who knows what. And uh, I looked at Veronica, I, go, I think I'm going to lose my mind. And she goes, I think I am going to too. I was just ready to scream. Felt like my dad back in the day in the station wagon when he wanted to bring that, we'd all duck as he'd bring that arm back to whack us, right? I was literally losing it. All of us can relate to those times, those moments in our life when we just don't think we can take it anymore. For some of us, it comes from relationship trouble. For some of us, maybe it is that move, a big life event a loss of a job, a retirement that we're not quite ready for. Whatever it might be, we can relate to running on empty. But the good thing about these times is it points us to the need that we need help, that we can't do life on our own. No matter how much we try to be that best parent, the best spouse, the best friend, the best neighbor, the best church member, We realize that our own strength, we just can't do it. We need help. Which reminds me of another story. The story of this hiker who was uh, hiking by this cliff and he was probably looking at his cell phone because he wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden he slipped and starts falling down the cliff and he grabs a branch and he's hanging there. And he looks up and goes, somebody help me. And this voice from heaven goes, I'm here to help you. And he goes, well, who is that? And he goes, it's the Lord. And the man goes, well, Lord, help me. And the Lord says, do you trust me? And he goes, I trust you completely, Lord. Please help me. And the Lord says, good. Let go of the branch. And the man shouts up, is there anybody else up there? You see, for all of us, giving up control Is the most difficult thing to do. Even though so often we get exhausted, life can overwhelm us. It's hard to let go. But the good news for all of us this morning is when we do let go, we allow uh, God to permeate our heart, to come into our lives. When we give our lives fully to Him, yes, we're going to still be exhausted at times. We're going to have times where we feel like we're running on empty. But we're going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit we're going to be filled with a hope that passes all understanding and a peace that guides us through our lives. And when we do this, we'll live truly blessed lives. And blessed is not what you like hashtag when like a tree does not find, fall in your house during a hurricane, okay? People write, you know, I'm so blessed. I didn't, my neighbor's tree fell on them, but mine did not. Blessed is when you know you're on the right path. When you find joy in spite of your sufferings, joy even when life gets hard, That's what blessed means biblically. This morning we're going to unpack scripture a little bit to see what this means to live the blessed life, to live a life where we're on the right path, to live a life where suffering doesn't have the last word in our lives, to live a life when we can love people beyond ourselves. Well, the disciples, not quite like my move, they were literally exhausted right after Jesus had died on the cross. They weren't expecting that. He had healed people. He had done all these great miracles. He was their savior. They thought he was going to take over. He was going to lead them into this new Jerusalem, and it did not happen. So they didn't know what to do. They were tired, so they were hiding out in their houses. Some of them were going back and kind of fishing at night, just doing things to try to make money. They didn't know what they were going to do. And all of a sudden, the resurrection was a reality. Jesus appeared to them many times. He appeared to them in the upper room. And they realized that the resurrection was real. All of Jesus' words, his miracles, it all made sense to them. The resurrection had become a reality in their life because they had seen it. They had not only, it wasn't, only, it wasn't a metaphor to them. Like, you know, the resurrection life, oh, that sounds cool. No, it had become a part of them. And so this ragtag group of disciples and followers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this pivotal event of the resurrection, they end up growing the church, which we know today, where billions of people have followed Christ. Because these guys had seen the risen Christ. The resurrection was real. And they couldn't help but sharing that with everyone they met. You see, for them, they understood that death did not have the final word in their lives. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, who also also experienced the risen Christ, in our reading today, uh, he talks about this. He talks about how pivotal, how important, how vital, how paramount. See if I can find any more words in my thesaurus, right? The resurrection is to our lives. He he writes this, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life, listen to this, we have hope in Christ, we are are of all people most to be pitied. Eugene Peterson in his message version writes this. He says, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot what the Apostle Paul goes on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, death does not have the final word for those who are in Christ, for those who are believers. So when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's power, they couldn't help but share this with everybody. They weren't scared or afraid, even though many of them were martyred. Many of them suffered for their faith. They weren't afraid of going outside. They're like, oh, I might get struck by lightning. A camel might run over me. No, they didn't think that way. They knew that, yes, they were going to die, but the hope of the resurrection was real, not just for Christ, but for them. So it was great news for them. And the other thing the resurrection did for them is it made them a part of things. They weren't just people who knew it in their heads. Yeah, the resurrection's real. I saw it but they understood through God's grace that they were a part of things. They were called to participate, to share this good news with everybody. The Apostle Paul writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. They knew it, and they wanted to show it. It was kind of like show and tell. They had seen it, and they couldn't help but share this because they had courage They weren't afraid to die. And because of this, they wanted to share the resurrection, what happened on the cross, and what happened in the resurrection with everybody they met. For it has been, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. See, they understood that in Christ they were a new creation, not because they kept this moral code and they were a bunch of great people. They understood that it was only through being in Christ, incorporated with him, that their life had hope, that their life had purpose. And it was through this understanding that they became bold witnesses of the gospel. A friend of mine who I was on Young Life staff wrote a book called Moments of Grace. His name is Jeff McSwain. And he helps explain this grace that I believe that the disciples and all believers, uh, when they understand it, when they capture it, it changes them. McSwain writes, Grace is God's no to her own moments. Or no, Grace is God's no to our own ability to fix ourselves, for our meager efforts at self-improvement, where we work superficially and do not get at the root of all sin. Yet God's uh, work, yet no, yet God's no to our own efforts does not make us passive objects. Rather, because God's yes to us in Christ, we are now included as active participants in a loving relationship where the power of God is everywhere at work within us recreating and transforming us from the inside out. Sorry, I butchered that a little bit, but what he was saying is that it's not about our ability to fix ourselves. We're never going to be good enough. See, the disciples caught that because they had messed up royally. They had ditched Jesus when he was on the cross. But they understood through the power of the Holy Spirit that they were forgiven, that they were loved, they were included, and they were called to participate, not just stand on the sidelines. That was the implications of the the resurrection in their lives. And when they understood this, suffering did not have the last word in their lives either. It no longer ruled them. As I said earlier, they weren't afraid. They had courage. They had strength. It's a great story when we think about our own setbacks. Sometimes when uh, we don't have a proper understanding of God in our lives, our sufferings and setbacks can become who we are. That's all we can talk about. Or we try to ignore them and we pretend like everything's okay. Just the power of positive thinking. I'm just going to be positive, even though, you know, I have this horrible illness right now. But that's not reality either, is it? See, what the disciples, they weren't trying to deny they had suffering because they did. But they had hope. They knew it didn't have the last word in their lives. They knew there was hope. There's a great story of a uh, survivor of a shipwreck. And he was getting very discouraged. It just kept like things were going from bad to worse, to worse, from bad to worse. He had built himself a hut finally and just hoping to, you know, try to stay warm at night. And one day he, uh, you know, his house was completed. He put all the, you know, the thatch roof and everything on. He went out to go fishing. And when he came back, his house was on fire. He was so discouraged. He was throwing everything on the ground. I can't believe this. This is miserable. But a ship saw the smoke rising up in the air. And the ship came and rescued him. What he thought was disaster turned out to be a moment of celebration. And it was just like the disciples what happened on the cross. They thought it was disaster, and yet three days later, it became a celebration that did not end in their lives. So when they saw their sufferings and their setbacks, they didn't focus on that. They didn't deny it either because they had hope. They walked with their sufferings with each other. That's how the church grew. Pope Francis uh, was speaking to a huge group of youth in Rio de Janeiro, and he said these words. He said, only in Christ crucified and risen can we find salvation and redemption. With him, evil, suffering, and death do not have the last word, because he gives us hope and life. He has transformed the cross from being an instrument of hate, defeat, and death to being a sign of love, victory, triumph, and, love, and life. I love that quote. It really sums up for all of us what the cross and the resurrection can mean in our own lives. We see suffering in the proper way. We don't deny it, but we don't dwell on it. It doesn't become who we are. It's interesting, as Jesus uh, was talking to his disciples, and I'm sure when he rose again and then uh, he transcended and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm sure they thought about these words a lot. But in our gospel reading that I read earlier, he looked straight at his disciples and said, blessed are you when you're poor, when you hunger, when you weep, when people hate you, when people insult you. Because he tells them they will be satisfied. They will laugh. There is hope for them. These setbacks, these trials will not not have the final word in their lives. And I'm sure as they thought back in their words, they're like, ah, now I know why he was preaching that sermon. It didn't make sense uh, then. As believers, when we're in Christ when the cross and the resurrection are our foundation, it helps us to understand and to deal with our sufferings. We have a future hope that suffering uh, will not have the final last word in. You know, sometimes people ask me, Steve, why do you bring these kids to Hilton Head? They could just go to this place or that place, or we could take them there or here that are closer by. And I agree, those are important for them to, you know, share the gospel um uh, But what I love about when I bring them to Honduras in particular, and it's not what I thought, they go there and there are these kids that are very poor, their houses are very simple, and I'm expecting they're going to be shocked and go, oh, look at all the poor kids. But you know what? They never say that. I don't even think they notice it, to be honest with you. Sometimes I don't think they'd notice if an elephant walked by them. You know, they're just so focused in what they're doing. But what they notice is that these kids are spiritually rich most of the time, especially with the program we're working at. That even though they don't have much stuff, they have the love of Christ in their hearts. And that speaks volumes to them. And as they go home, they drive their parents crazy a little bit when they first come back. And they say, we're so materialistic. Look at all the stuff we have. And of course, that's a normal reaction. But what I hope they get from it, what I hope they gather, is that being rich in Christ is much more important than being rich in life. That's the one thing that will last through this life, through all the ups and downs, through all the struggles. See, this resurrection life that I'm talking about not only helps us deal with our sufferings, it also helps us to see people as God sees them. It gives us a new vision that when we look at people, it elevates them rather than uh, puts them down. Sometimes when we have a distorted view of God, we try to elevate people. We build our lives on people, on friends, on relationships, and ultimately they let us down. That's why we have pop psychology terms like codependency and no boundaries because we're looking for people and we want them to love us and then we try to do too much or we ignore people because we're afraid people will hurt us. But what God does when we put him as the foundation of our life, it helps us to value people the way he values people. And we can't do that through our own strength. Again, this is how the early church grew. They saw people through Christ's eyes. They had this hope of the resurrection. They couldn't help but share it with people. Not because they had this list that said, I ought to do this and I ought to do that, so that way I'm good enough and God will like me. No, they couldn't help but share what was inside of them. They had to share it. A faith in Christ from the power of his death on the cross for our sins, the forgiveness we experience, and the hope of resurrection gives us deep connection with people. We care for people we normally couldn't care for. We love people that we thought were unlovable. So we hear a message like this, and I always like this question, what are we going to do with this message? Well, first of all, some of us have trouble getting past the whole idea of a resurrection, if we're honest. We'll say, Steve, you know, isn't that more of a metaphor? Well, the disciples may have thought that at first, but then they experienced the risen Christ. There's been many people of great intellect who have written books about how they tried to disprove the resurrection. Greg and I and Kathy or many of us could recommend books for you all to read. But really, more than just reading a book, for you to know it and for it to come down from your head to your heart, you've got to experience it. So I encourage you to talk to God about it. Say, you know what, I'm having trouble with this issue. Right now we're running the Alpha Course and the guy who is the host of the videos we're watching is a guy named Nikki Gumbel. And he was an agnostic Jew growing up. He used to love to argue with Christians because he thought they were just so misguided. And uh, one day he met some Christians and he thought they were, you know, they were going to be really weird. And they turned out to be very normal. And he was challenged to read the Gospels for himself. And he started reading them and he could not put them down. And being a lawyer, he wanted to investigate this whole thing of the resurrection. And as he investigated, he felt there was enough evidence that it was true. And as he read the Gospels through the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to believe it was true. Not just in his head, but it dropped to his heart. And to this day, millions of people have come to know Christ through his ministry because somebody who was a skeptic. So if that's you, I encourage you to keep investigating that. Keep searching, keep asking those questions. For others of us, I guess the best analogy I can say to us is this. When I moved here, I was very shocked at the uh, college football fans in this area because I grew up in the DC area. And uh, as some of you know from that area, like we weren't that into college football. And here I see adults and they're dressed like in all, like the Clemson and the USC stuff. I mean, they have flags on their trucks and it's like a huge deal. And it was kind of foreign to me. And, uh, and then I hear them talk and they're saying, like, yeah, we had a really good game last week. We won. I'm like, we? What did, what did you do? You know, I'm thinking to myself, but they're super into it. They identify with these teams. It's kind of like years ago, my dad and I were watching a Red Sox game on TV, and there was a man probably 60 years old, and he was in the stadium, and everyone was sitting down, and he was standing up, and he was in a full Red Sox uniform. I think he had the stirrups on and the spikes, and my dad in his Boston accent, he's like, what is that guy doing? You know, he's like, you know, what, is, what is he thinking? He's not on the team. But I use that analogy to tell you the kind of faith that Christ is calling to us is not on the sidelines, We're called to be in the game. And I don't want to sound cheesy with this, but we're called to go out there. It's not just for ministers or professionals, so to speak, to do it. All of us are called, as I shared two weeks ago, to go and share this message that the power of the Holy Spirit with everybody we meet. And here's the great deal about it. We're not on our own. God's not, and the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit aren't sitting on the sidelines saying, you know what, he's not playing very well. We need to pull him out and find somebody better. Instead, they're with us on the field. They've invited us to join in to be part of their ministry of redemption and reconciliation with the whole world. And everyone here is invited. And that's really good news. So I hope this morning you understand the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. See, we're called not just to know it, but we're called to show it, to participate when we understand that we belong, that we're on the team. We're called to go out there and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are going to get exhausted. Just because we follow Christ, we're not going to have our phone always on 100%, so to speak. But we're going to have a power that's greater than us, a power that helps us to get through struggles, a power that helps to love people, a power that helps us to... Be blessed because we're on the right path in spite of what life throws at us. I want to leave us with a scripture that I feel like sums up the message. The Apostle Paul writes, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This morning, I encourage you all to have that same prayer that the uh, Apostle Paul had. Christ loves you. The power of the resurrection was just as true for the disciples way back then. And it is for you. He leaves us the power of the Holy Spirit so we can handle the sufferings we go through. We can help each other through them. And we can love people because we know that God first loved us. Let us pray. Lord, fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We can't know you. We can't handle our sufferings. And we can't love other people very well without you. Fill us with your strength, with your power. We pray for anybody who is going through a tough time this morning here in this room, that they'd know that you are with with them. Lord, I pray as a body, as a community, we would not only care for each other, we'd have the courage to share the hope that we have found through the cross and the resurrection with everyone we meet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.